Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good morning. So Genesis, the first chapter, verses 26 to 28, says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. A little creepy. Verse 27 So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And this is the word of God. That God created, uh, we've moved in this series so far in the first three chapters of Genesis from uh, the universe to the world, and this morning we're going to talk about the garden. It says here that then God uh, said, let us make man in our own image, and I wanted to just stop and say this word God that's used right here is a Hebrew word, Elohim, uh, and it's a, a word that's used to describe God as he revealed himself in three persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the word for God that's used 2,555 times in the Old Testament for a couple of reasons. One, it's because the Hebrews were so sensitive to the sacredness of God that they wouldn't say his name. The, the name of God, Yahweh, which we're not even 100% sure how they would have pronounced it, but we, uh, we pronounce it Yahweh, uh, the name of God, but they wouldn't say the name of God. God was this distant, um, majestic, powerful uh, God up there, and they had other names that they would use, and Elohim was the primary uh, one. It's used a lot in the book of Psalms, and because they wouldn't use the name of God, they used Elohim, and the other reason is because it's a plural, because it represents the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they would use this name, so we have this beginning phrase, uh, in the beginning, God, created, and now God created man and said, let us make man in our image. Now, this is really interesting. What we're going to talk about this morning is what it means to be made in the image of God, what God intended for us, what God did, and then, and then what happened uh, to it. He said that, that be fruitful and multiply, that, that here's what we learn in the first three chapters of Genesis, uh, that it means to be an image bearer, it means to be made in the image of God. The first thing that we learned is that God created us for relationship, that God wanted a relationship with his creation, that God chose to have a relationship with us. So the first thing about being made in the image of God is that we were made to have a relationship with God. The second thing that we're going to see about what it means to be an image bearer or made in the image of God is that we were created to have relationships with each other. And we're going to look at that a little bit more in depth in, in a minute. And then the third thing that you have to understand, that you have to notice as you read this, is that God put Adam and Eve in the garden 
to till it, to nurture it, to care for it, to manage it. It was God's creation, but he put them there to care for it. So you may not be particularly an environmentalist, but you would have to understand that part of what God put us here for, part of what it means to be made in the image of God is that we care for and care about his creation. So those are things, those are pictures for us of what it means to be made in the image of God, that we are made to have a vertical relationship with the God who created us. We are made to have a horizontal relationship with the people God put around us, and we are made to care, we are created to care for his creation. We're to do that. He put us there for it. Now, I hope you noticed this morning when you came in, uh, and, and maybe you didn't, maybe you were focused on your coffee or your bagel or something, but uh, on the back of the wall here and that wo- these wooden uh, walls that are up, there were a couple of mirrors. And if you happen to look in those mirrors, uh, they, they're distorted, right? And for some of you, that might have been good news. Uh, you know, and you may have been pleased with that or others, it might have been a little disappointing or confusing. But we are gonna talk about what it means to, to look in the mirror and not know what we're supposed to look like anymore. What does it mean to look in a mirror and and realize there's a distorted picture of who we are? Maybe um, really even hard to recognize that we have this idea of what we think that we're supposed to look like. We have this picture of of what we really want to look like and then we look in the mirror, we look at our lives and, and we don't see it, we can't recognize it and it's disturbing. We're gonna look at that this morning together Uh, we've gone from the universe of the world to the garden, but it's still about relationships. And one of the things that we'll see is that Adam has been busy all of this time, that that if you read the second chapter, it talks about that not only was he there to care for the garden, but he also was commanded to name the animals. Now, we don't know how long that took, but but a a lot of scholars think that that would have taken him over 100 years just to name the animals. Uh, one of the things it says in Genesis is that he, they didn't start their family till after Adam was over 100 years old, so he had time, right? Uh, but he n- named all the animals. So Adam wasn't just sitting around in the garden eating grapes or something. He was busy. He was learning his role. He was learning the job. He was learning the work that God had placed him there to do to care for the garden. He was naming the animals, that all of this is going on. And then we get to this point in Genesis, the second chapter, and, and uh, you know, Adam's been busy, and God looks down and says, ah, it's not right that man should be alone. Let's make a helper for him. Now, let me qualify this for you because uh, this gets a bad rap, and and this this is part of the distortion. This is part of the fuzzy mirror that that we have with our identity and who we are. So so God says, let's let's make a helper, you know, suitable for him, and and, and we sort of want to say that then, well, God, you know, God's a chauvinist, or God made, you know, man, and then he made woman, and he's, you know, and there were juxtapositions and all of this stuff that goes on with that, and and that's not at all what's meant here because if I, I look at John 14th chapter, a lot, and and it it talks about Jesus said, I'm going to send my spirit, I'm going to send the comforter, and what does he call the comforter? He calls the comforter your helper. I don't think Jesus was being degraded to the, degrading to the spirit of God. I think that what he was saying is that to be complete, we need everything, everything that God has, everyone that God has, and when he said God created Eve, when God created woman, he created woman to finish creation, to finish the job, to make Adam complete. 
And, and so we have this incredible scene where, where God creates Eve. This, this is like the coolest nap in the history of the world, right? Seriously, have you ever read this story? He falls asleep, you know, Adam goes to sleep, and while he's asleep, God takes one of his ribs and he forms woman. And there is Adam. And what we have in this passage is the first poetic couplet in history. That there's this moment. <laughs> Thank you. There's this moment where Adam sees Eve and he looks at Eve and it's like he sings over her. That's biblical. <laughs> Amen, right? That's what he does. Adam looks at Eve and he says, at last, she's here. My love has come along. Uh, and God, okay, good, good. Yeah, sorry, jazz two weeks in a row, I think. Um, he says, at last, she's here complete. There's this, this moment uh, for Adam when he recognizes that God has done something that's just perfect. And then there's this little verse that's so powerful, so important for us in this passage, because here is Adam and Eve in the garden. And in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 25, it says this, and they were naked and not ashamed. Adam and Eve were in the garden, and the scripture says they were naked and not ashamed. And, and you know, it's, it's not because of percentage of body fat. Uh, it's not because of how they looked, you know, perfect creations. Uh, but it, it, here's, here's, the, here's the powerful picture for us, is that Adam and Eve in the garden were completely vulnerable and yet completely safe that they, they didn't recognize nakedness. They were completely vulnerable, and yet at the same time, they were completely safe. When is the last time you have ever heard those two things put together? To be completely vulnerable, and yet feel completely safe. But that was their life in the garden. And then we get to Genesis 3, and suddenly the story starts to shift. And in Genesis 3, we see this story. It says, Then the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the, the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And so we have this picture, we have the serpent, we have the serpent that comes to, to talk to Eve in the garden, and, the, and there's three things that we're going to see in this story, in this dialogue between the serpent and Eve. The first one is what I call the sneer, the mocking, the second is the lie, and the third is the tree. So the very first thing, the serpent, you know, we don't know a, a lot. We, we know that a serpent was a symbol of all kinds of things in, in ancient times, but, but we know that in this story, the serpent represents Satan. Satan, who was an angel that fell from heaven, that rebelled against God, and it lives in, as an adversary to God and his kingdom. And now we have the serpent that comes to Eve and says, 
and challenges her to eat uh, of this fruit. And Eve says that she can't. And here's the first thing. Here's the sneer. Here's the mock that, that the serpent says to her, really? Really, God said that to you? God said you can't eat from in any tree? I mean, that's dumb. It's all here. It's, it's beautiful. Look at it. Why would, why would, doesn't make, why would God do that? And, and it always starts like that. It always starts with cynicism. It always starts with mockery, with this sneer that makes you feel dumb, that makes you feel like, wow, that's, I don't know, what, I don't have a good answer for that. I, I, I don't know what, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what to say to that. I, I, feel, I feel belittled. I feel small. I'm not sure how to respond. And, and I was thinking about it this week because I was remembering a time when I was in college and, and, and I had a professor and, you know, I never had a professor tell me let me give you 10 reasons not to, not to believe in the resurrection. But I remember having a professor say to me, you mean you have more than a third grade education and you still believe that stuff? That, that to sort of shame me into doubting, to embarrass me in front of people into doubting, to, to sort of take the edge off my, my faith and what I believed and what I thought was true. And, and so it was never trying to refute it. It was always trying to shame me, always trying to mock me uh, into, into something different. And if you listen to that long enough, you start to lose confidence and, and the facts are still the facts, but somehow it starts to waver and it starts to get fragile. And, and the next thing you know, you're really doubting all of these things. And it's never been because of truth. It's always been because of the sneer. And that's how the serpent started. And then the serpent goes to the lie. Uh, the, the serpent, in verse four, the serpent said to the woman, you'll not, you'll not surely die. That's not true. You're not gonna die. You're gonna know things. You're gonna, you're gonna know right from wrong. You're gonna, you're gonna know good from evil. You're gonna, you know what? You, if you eat this fruit, not only will you not die, but you're going to be your own God. You're gonna be like God. That's why he doesn't want you to know the truth. That's why he's trying to keep you down because he knows that if you do this, you're gonna be like him, that you're gonna be elevated to his level and he wants to keep you down here. And so we go from the sneer, we go from the mock to the, to the lie. And that happens so often in our lives that when we've listened to the mocking, when we've listened to the sneers, that we begin to be open to the lies of the world, the lies in our lives the lies about who we are, the lies about how, what the scripture says, the lies about all of these things. And, and so the, the serpent gives Eve the lie. And then the tree. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And she took its fruit and she ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. You know, and there are a couple of things about this that are pretty important for us this morning. We don't know anything about, we don't, we don't really know anything about what the tree looked like or what kind of fruit it was. I read one guy that hates avocados, so he picked those. I kind of think the fuzz on the peach might be a candidate for me, but we honestly don't know, do we? We know it looked delightful. We know it looked beautiful. We, we know it was tempting. And, and the serpent gave Eve uh, the fruit and she ate and then she gave it to Adam. That she was tempted. She listened to the mocking, the sneer. She listened to the lie and she bought into the lie and then she ate 
from the fruit. Now, let me just give you a little side note, all right? That often this story gets told that, uh, that, that Eve listened to the serpent, she took the fruit and ate it, and then Adam comes from someplace, you know, uh, and, and she tells him what's happened, and he takes the fruit then, and he eats it too, but that's not how the scripture says. The scripture says, and Adam was with her. Adam was w- there the whole time. He listened to this dialogue. He was part of this dialogue, but Adam didn't step up. Adam didn't stand up and say, wait a minute, no, this is God's command. Adam was passive in this whole thing, and so I just got a little message, guys. We can't afford to be passive. That bad things happen. Consequences happen when men are passive, when we don't stand up, when we don't stand up for what's right, what what we know is true. It's not all on Eve on this, but Adam was there, and they took of the fruit, and they ate it. Now, one of the questions is, why, why a tree? You know, there, there just seems like there's other ways to do this, but God, after the sneer, after the lie, and then there was the tree, and why would God use a tree? Why would God put a tree in the middle of the garden and say, everything is open, everything is good, everything is for you, but here's something I don't want you to touch. Here's something you shouldn't touch, you shouldn't eat, because if you do, you'll surely die. This is my command, this is my direction to you and he chose a tree. Why, why wouldn't God just say, look, here are the things I want you to do and things I don't want you to do. And uh, what, I, what I don't want you to do, I don't want you to lie, I don't want you to steal, I don't want you to commit adultery, you know, I don't want you to cheat, I don't want you to do, and just give us a list of things that you don't want us to do and let us follow that list and, and, and then go on from there, live happily in the garden. And here's the reason. Because for the rest of history, we would always have compared life to those things. We would have always compared our relationship to God to those things that what we do and what we don't do. And here's what God said, that our relationship with him is based on choice. Our relationship with him is based on trust. Do I trust God enough to listen? Do I trust God enough to obey? Uh, am I willing to say, no, this is, God has said, this is off, this, th- th- this is out of bounds, I am not going there, and I trust him enough, even though I don't know all the reasons why, I don't understand all the reasons why, but I'm putting my trust in God, I'm choosing using God over these things. Otherwise, it's always just about the things we do, the things we don't do. It's about the list of things. It's not about relationship. It's not about trust. And the tree in the garden gave Adam and Eve an opportunity to say, will we trust God? Will we believe him? Will we obey him? Will we choose God? Because here, here's the challenge. And, and, and the tree was good, uh, and nobody would deny that, and the fruit was good, But the essence of sin isn't all those bad things that we do. The essence of sin is taking a good thing, a good tree, and using it to become our own God, using it to become our own Savior, uh, using it for ourselves. It's taking those good things that are there for us and trying to turn those into making us our own God. It's always that choice. Am I going to follow God or am I going to choose to be my own God? Am I gonna say I can take the matters into my own hands and, and do what I think is best in, in my sight, in my eyes? Am I gonna try to put myself on an equal level with God or am I gonna trust him with my life? That's always the decision that we make. And we can take those good things and we can turn them into disasters. We can turn those into sin by our response to them. And, and that's really what happens. Sin enters the world Separation from God, that's the, really the definition of sin. Separation from God enters the world because of that disobedience. 
Now, you can, you can be mad at Adam and Eve and say, wow, they blew it and the rest of us are paying for it for the rest of you know, history, whatever you want to say, but here's the truth, all right? We do every day what they did then. We make choices every day to be our own God. We make choices every day to be our own Lord and Savior, to be our own boss, to, to put ourselves in that position, to trust ourselves over God. We do that every day. We do the same thing that they did every single day. And that's why the scripture says in Romans 3.23 that we have all sinned, that we've all been separated from God and fallen short of his glory because we are all guilty. We are all in the same place. And we get this picture, we get this image of ourselves. And what happens as a result of that is that the image of God, the image that God placed in us gets distorted. The image that God placed in us gets blurred and we spend our energy and our time trying to figure out what we're going to look like. We don't like what we see. We don't understand what we see. And so we go through these different phases in our lives. You know, we go through our jock phase. We go through our business phase. We go through our religious phase. We go through all these phases trying to figure out who we're going to be, what I'm going to look like. We get so exhausted by trying to figure out who I am what's my identity, what I'm going to look like, that finally you get to a certain age and you just settle and say, as long as I look better than somebody else, I'm going to go with it. And we still are lost in what our image is supposed to be. We still lost the image that God created for us. Now, we, get, I, we have a couple examples. I think we have some bonks, right? Yeah. That's a... Uh, kind of depends on the day, doesn't it? It kind of depends on the day, how we see ourselves, how we get confused, how it gets distorted. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this because uh, another, another phrase that we use, another catchphrase is image management. We try to manage our image. We try to make people think that we're somebody. We try to look like something. And I, I grew up a pastor's kid, and we, we took image management to, a, to an art form at our house, and, and it was about, you're the pastor's kid, so how you looked really mattered, and, and so I've told a lot of you that, that I realized in high school one time that, that uh, nobody would ever ask me if I loved Jesus if I didn't get in trouble. It was only the kids that got in trouble that anybody ever worried about, right? So if I could manage myself in front of people, if I could act right in front of people, I could just sort of skate along. It didn't matter what was going on inside or what I was thinking or, uh, you know, or any of those things or what I could get away with. It really just mattered, managed, mattered what people saw. And we live our lives that way. We live our lives trying to manage our image rather than being the person God created to be, being a reflection, living out the image of Christ. And that's a painful uh, way to live. Now, uh, I, I have one other little illustration because I, uh, it, it, people do this to me all the time. They'll say, you know, Pastor Larry, you know, I live in the real world. What is that, okay? Seriously, what do I, am I a fake world? I don't know what that means. I live in the real world. It's tough out there, you know. All right, whatever. You're the real world, okay? Uh, and and so it's hard. You got to manage these things in the you know in the real world. You got to you know do this and this and this and 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 then you know and I just tell them you know here's what happens to me. So I have friends that and they're really good friends and and they 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 see me up here and and they they feel like hey you know Larry. We love you, but you need to get into the 21st century. So there's a uniform now for pastors, and you wear Levi's, and you wear a shirt with little squiggly things on it, you know, and stuff, and you untuck your shirt, and, and that's kind of, and you need, you need to sort of dress it down a little bit. You're just a little too stiff. And, and then I have other friends, and they love me, and they're really great people, and, and, and they say, dress your age, for goodness sakes, right? And, uh, 
and, and so, you know, they're, they're a little bit more, you know, do the slacks and do, all, you know, all this stuff and, you know, spot the occasional tie or, or whatever. And, and so I was thinking about that this morning. And so what I did is I put on Levi's and a sport coat so I could just make everybody happy. Huh? What do you think? Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> but you get that stuff and you think, you know what, if, if, if my life crumbled on what people thought I, how people thought I should dress, I would be in such deep trouble, right? But, but here's, what I, here's what I rely on, is that in, in, in ancient Anderson folklore, there's a story that uh, I came out of the womb with a button-down shirt and khaki pants on. So I just sort of go with it, you know, when, when, when in doubt, I'm kind of comfortable with what, uh, w- w- with what I am. But we chase that image. We chase the image that we think people want to see. We chase the because the image that we have has been distorted. It's been ruined by sin. God created us in his image, and we don't know what that looks like anymore. We don't know what that's supposed to be anymore. We're confused by that, and think about a world over thousands of years that, that aren't sure what they're, who they're supposed to look like. They're not sure what they're supposed to look like. They're not sure how somebody's gonna receive them or take them or understand them, and, and they live with that kind of identity crisis and, and that self-image issues, and we have all of these things going on because we've missed what God intended for us. We've missed the fact that we're created in his image and we're living with something less. And Adam and Eve found themselves in that place. They ate of the fruit and suddenly they are aware. In Genesis 3, verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So here's what happens. They wake up, they, they eat that fruit, and all of a sudden, everything changes. The image that God created in them is begin, begins to distort, and they recognize that something's wrong, that it's not the same. God hasn't entered into the garden yet. Here's the thing that's destroyed. The very first thing that's destroyed in Adam and Eve is their relationship to each other, their trust for each other. They walked through the garden, completely vulnerable and completely safe, and in an instant, they're not safe anymore. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they were hiding from each other that that vertical relation, that horizontal relationship was distorted. And then, in verse eight, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This idea of walking is a Hebrew idiom that means in relationship, that, that when you talk about walking with somebody, you know, we really walk together. It's not the idea of taking walks, it's the idea of being in friendship and relationship, doing life together. And God would come and he was good to do life. We call it a theophany, it's a visible expression, it's a visible manifestation of the God of the universe walking in the garden. And he's walking with them and he comes into the garden to walk with his people, to do life with Adam and Eve and they hide from him. It says they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. That suddenly that vertical relationship that was all they had ever known has changed. Suddenly what God intended, the image of God that they they were intended to carry, uh, the picture of God that they were supposed to have uh, in in their lives of their relationship with him, it's changed. Now they're separated from each other and now they're hiding from the very God who created them because they've lost a sense of that image. 
you know, Colossians 1.15 tells us that Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. That Christ is the picture. God, Christ is the ultimate image bearer of God. If you want to know who God is, if you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus. Adam and Eve lived that until that moment, and they lost. And life became distorted. Then their identity, their image in themselves became distorted. Now they don't know. Now they're running around trying to figure out. Now they're even hiding from God. And how many people do that today? So sin has entered into the world. But there are two more parts to the story. There's God's justice and there's God's grace. So here's what happens. God, in verse 9, it says, And the Lord God called to man and said, where are you? God called a man and said, where are you? He's God. He knows where they are. But even in the midst of their sin, even in the midst of this distortion, God calls to his creation. He calls to Adam and Eve, where are you? You're hiding from me. I know you're hiding. I've come to walk with you. I've come to be with you. Don't hide from me. And everything has changed. Everything is different. So we get God's justice in verses 14 to 19. It talks about the curse on the serpent and then it talks about the curse on Eve and the curse on Adam. And, and you can read the story uh, you know, on your own, but, but the, the, there'll be enmity between the serpent, uh, the serpent and, and, and the childbirth and working the soil and toil and, all, and pain and all of those things that are gonna go along with being separated from God that are going along with this distorted image of, of who we are, um, all the consequences that go uh, with sin. And we understand the fact that there are consequences of sin, that if God is a holy God, if God is a just God, that there will be consequences to sin. But in the middle of, 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 middle of talking about those consequences, in the middle of God reminding them of what it's gonna cost because of what they've done, God gives them hope. God hasn't forgetten, forgotten them. God has a message for them. And, and right in the middle of, of the, that chapter, right in the middle of thir- chapter three, verse 15, God says to the serpent, and there will be enmity between you and man, and you, I am going to send somebody, I'm gonna send hope, I'm gonna send help, and you will bite his heel, but he will crush your head, that I am gonna send a victor, I'm gonna send a savior, that this isn't done, the story's not over, I'm not finished with you yet, and God makes a promise right there. God begins to talk about Jesus in the third chapter of Genesis. And then the last little part of this, it's so important, so powerful for me, is in verse 20. Then it says, God made clothes for him. We got a lot of firsts here. You know, we got the first poetic couplet. We got the first tailor. God then made clothes of the skins and he dressed Adam and Eve. He didn't leave them in their condition. Uh, okay, this is, this is grace. God never leaves us where we are. And in, in, and in our worst moments, in our worst sin, in our worst confusion, God is calling us He's saying, there is the, this isn't the end of the story. Uh, we're not done, and I'm gonna show you because I'm gonna start taking care, I'm gonna start preparing something for you, and, and we have this picture of God making clothes for Adam and Eve out of animal skins. 
Yeah, it's an interesting picture because something had to die for them to get help done. That, that the first sacrifice happened in that day, in that moment, when God made those skins for them. And yet God, in his grace, and God in his love, gave them a picture of what it looks like to be redeemed, what it looks like to be saved, what it looks like to be back in relationship with the image of God. Every Christmas, we sing, a, uh, we sing our Christmas carols. We uh, sing these words of celebration. The first is, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive his king. Uh, it's king, but w- one thing you might not know is that one of the verses in joy to the world comes from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And here's what it says. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. You you see, in Genesis 3, this was called the curse, that when sin entered the world, there was a curse, that that we were caught in our sin, but God in his love and his grace and his mercy provides a way out for us. God in his love for you provides a way for us for us, and and isn't it like so many things in our lives? We sing this song every year, and we don't even know where it came from. We need to be reminded what it means that he's redeemed us from the curse by his love, that Christ came so that we might be made back into the image of God, the perfect image of God. So why did God even go back to the garden? Why did God call out Adam and Eve, even though he already knew because that's the nature of God. You see, when I act out of character, it's because I'm not living in the image of God. But God never acts out of character. God always acts in his character. And even in the middle of that moment, even in the middle of sin entering into the world, God is still in character. He still acts in character. He still acts in grace and in love. And that's why he calls out the same reason he still calls out to us today. The same reason he still calls out to your heart today. It's because that's who God is. So Adam and Eve, they were forced to leave the garden. But one day Jesus was going to enter into a garden. And Adam and Eve sinned by eating that fruit, but Jesus was going to talk to God and he was going to say, Jesus, here's the here's how you obey me. You take this cup and you drink of this cup and Christ obeyed God for us. And Adam and Eve sinned in that tree and Jesus climbed that tree for us, for our redemption, for our salvation, to give us an opportunity to be back into a right relationship with God, to be back as image bearers of who he is. So this morning, well, sometime today, you're going to walk by a mirror. And you might try to be cool and do the old side glance, you know, maybe hope nobody notices. You might just turn and just look right at it for some reason. But you're going to look at yourself. I don't know what you're going to think. I don't know if you're going to be really disappointed or if you're going to be, yeah, just me, or if you're going to think, yeah, I'm good. I don't know what you're going to think when you look in the mirror. But here's what I want you to understand this morning. That when God sees you, he doesn't see you through a 
distorted mirror. God doesn't see you the way you see yourself. But when God looks at you, he sees you through Jesus. He sees you through the cross. He's not looking at you and your sin and your distorted image of who you are and the mess that you've made or all of those things in your life. But he sees you through what Jesus did on the cross. That in his love, he gave his life so that we might have life. So if you want to know what you look like this morning, you look like Jesus. You, you, You look through Jesus to see the real person that God created. It's not about how you impress people. It's not about what you do. It's not about anything that you are, but it's because of who Jesus is. It's because of what Christ has done. And we, we through trust in Christ, can live a life that's vulnerable and yet safe because we trust in him. But until we learn to trust in Jesus, we'll never live that life. Until we learn to put our trust in Jesus, we'll never live a life that's vulnerable and yet trust but he invites us in today that that's the picture, that's the story, that's what it looks like. We were created in God's image and God's desire, God's goal for us is that we would would have that image healed, that we would have that picture healed and that we would know exactly who we are because of what Jesus did on the cross. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. I'm amazed at your, your grace, your love. Lord, we acknowledge this morning that we, we, uh, we have not been image bearers, Lord. We have a distorted view and that we have spent way too much energy trying to look good, look different, look better, better than others, whatever it is, Lord, that, that just, it's consuming. And, and Lord, we acknowledge that this morning and we ask, Lord, that you would heal us uh, Lord, we ask Lord, this morning that you would make us aware of that, that we might more fully put our trust in you, Lord, that we might grow to see ourselves the way that you see us through Jesus and through the cross and what you've done for us in your love and your grace. And so, Lord, we want to receive that this morning. We want that to be our life, not a life of frustration and fear and anxiousness because we know we don't look right or we no, we don't measure up, or we're so panicked and we're so anxious about trying to impress and trying to look a certain way, and Lord, it, as our lives just sort of unravel around us. So Lord, show us. Show us who we are this morning in Jesus. Show us your love for us. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Give us a clear view of, of who you made us to be through your love and through your grace. And then, Lord, we, we will give you praise and we will give you thanks and we will worship you because you are our creator, you are our Lord, you are our God, and you, Lord, have brought us back into a relationship with you. So we thank you, we praise you. It's for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, We'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. 
So we have our prayer partners in the corner. And, uh, you know, uh, maybe you know, we all need help sometimes, right? I mean, let's be honest. Uh, part of that, part of our distorted image is that we feel like some, so often we, we have to pretend we don't need help. We have to pretend that we're better than that. Those guys need help, but I'm good, right? And um, that's, just, that's just one of the lies. That's one of the distortions, and we all need help. And that's why we offer small groups, and we have pastors that meet with people, and we have all kinds of things. But we also have folks who pray. And if you're, anything's going on in your life this morning, whether it's just how you view yourself, whether it's, you know, something going on in your family or your work, they would love to pray with you. So I would just encourage you to invite you to stop uh, the really nice people and uh, invite them to, and ask them to pray with you this morning. And then uh, on the side uh, this morning we, is our prayer table. It's a little different spot because of our lovely mirrors. And, uh, but just uh, follow the sticks, you'll find it. And uh, we have our prayer requests that you can write those down and uh, we will pray over those, pray with you and for you uh, starting tomorrow morning and, and throughout the week. It's one of our great privileges. So take advantage of those uh, opportunities for prayer. And, and this, is, this is my prayer uh, for us this morning is that, that we would realize how trustworthy our Heavenly Father is. That, that somehow it would seep into our hearts and our minds and our consciousness that God is completely and utterly trustworthy and that we can live our lives as image bearers of God through him who loves us, through him who we can trust, and through the power of the cross of Jesus, we can have that life. I love you guys. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.